0: Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. God spoke to me very early on in, in my 30s. I was I was doing a lot of stuff to build the church. And uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, I never told you to build the church. I was a little shocked when I heard that. You know, I was I said, well, what did you tell me to do? He said, I told you to seek the kingdom. If you seek the kingdom, I'll build the church. I thought, wow, that's that's pretty good. You see, so often we're trying to build something. And unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. You know, unless the Lord is watching the city in Psalm 127, the watchman gets up in vain. You've got to learn to do things in the rhythm of God, in the power of the Spirit. It's got to be God who's taking the initiative. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, come unto Matthew oh, Matthew 11, 28. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke. You know, it's a, it's a lovely picture uh, that every farmer would have understood because what they did was the yoke was the piece of wood that they put across the shoulders of two oxen and they would take a very mature oxen who understood the rhythm of how to plow a field and then they would take a young oxen who had no idea with all the energy and all the strength but no rhythm, no understanding of how to plow a field no understanding, in fact if you took two young oxen they would just go all over the place in a field but if you took a young oxen and yoked it to a mature oxen, the mature oxen was just steady. The young oxen would try and pull over here. And the, the old oxen, no, we're not going anywhere. This is how we plow a field. And when the young oxen wanted to go ahead, you know, he says, buddy, you don't realize we're going to be doing this all day. Save your energy. And so when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, he was inviting us to come into a relationship where we would learn how to do life and ministry according to the grace of God. In fact that's how Eugene Peterson translates that verse. He says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn the unforced rhythms of grace." It's a beautiful translation. And, and so I've made it you know a goal in life not to really build the church but to seek the kingdom. And and as I've sought to seek the kingdom, God builds the church. People used to say to me, How big is your church gonna be? And I thought, I don't know. I'm not building it. I don't know. But I know this that when my children were growing up and their feet got bigger, we bought new shoes. We we didn't cut off their toes. no matter how much it cost us and how inconvenient it was and how many of you know sometimes kids feet grow in the most inconvenient way you know what I'm talking about it was always a delight that my kids wore out their shoes but it so seldom happened it's like didn't we just buy those three months ago? yeah they've grown shoot like, and shoes are so expensive aren't they you know couldn't you just have grown bigger here and not bigger feet you know it's like. but we don't determine how big a kid gets You you don't determine their size. You don't determine the size of a church. That's in the heart of God. You know, people sometimes say to me, well, I don't like big church. Well, boo-hoo for you. How are you going to handle Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 got saved? We were just 120 in the upper room. So close. So intimate. Just knew each other. And now 3,000 people invade your world that you now have to inconveniently disciple and invest yourself into. Because God wants to build a church. He wants to build a community to touch a community. He wants to build a community to show what relationships are like in order to touch a community that's screwed up with relationships. He, He wants to have a testimony, a light, a city set on a hill salt and light, people who can change other people because they brought their life into alignment with Jesus. That's what he's after. And it's not for you and I to determine the size of a church. If you're doing that, you're, you've got way too much control. You need to resign. I don't mean resign your leadership. I mean resign your control. That's a lot harder to do. Resign it to God and let him determine. You know, we've said in our church, we'll be as big as God wants us to be be as big as he wants us to be if we can't find a building big enough we'll start another congregation so we've got four locations going right now four meetings three locations four meetings and we've just started a new equipers church uh, in uh, colchester which is about two and a half hours away where where i used to lead a church 25 years ago it's so weird it's so weird you know everything that i've let go of in my life god's given back to me I let go of that church 25 years ago. It's come back to me. We want you to lead us. The senior pastor said, I'll be a location pastor. Just We want to connect in with equippers. We see the life. We see what God's doing. We want to be in the flow. It's so good. I let go of a Bible college 12 years ago and came back to England just to be in obedience to God. Then three years ago, they said, we want you to lead the Bible college. It's so weird. Everything I've let go of and said, God, it's in your hands. God has given back to me. You see, God will always make you put Isaac on the altar because Isaac belongs to God. It's God's promise. And, and, And if you're prepared to take a step of faith and put Isaac on the altar and say, well, God's big enough to raise him from the dead, that's what Abraham said in Hebrews 11. In his heart, he believed God would raise him from the dead. He didn't put Isaac on the altar in despair. He put him on in faith. He was expectant. And just as he was about to kill his own son, and by the way, for all of those of you who think that that's really horrible, let me just tell you that in the culture that Abraham came from, everybody did that. That was not a weird thing for God to ask him to do. That was the culture of his day. You sacrificed a firstborn in order to get blessing on your family and fruitful fields and flocks and herds. It was a way of gaining prosperity. That's what they thought the gods wanted. Abraham didn't think it was weird because he'd come out of Ur of the Chaldees he'd come from a pagan background He, he, he just heard that and thought well okay that's what I've always known and then God said no you don't have to do it right at the last minute God himself will provide the sacrifice that was Abraham's prophetic word and there was a substitute. And for the first time in history now, God broke in and said, you actually don't need to do that anymore because that's not really what I'm like. I've got a provision for you so that you don't have to die. Someone's going to die in your place. That's the essence of the gospel, friends. So, so I, I want to I encourage us. Come on. Are we going to be people who, who get yoked to Jesus and learn how to do life and learn how to do ministry? and learn how to do all those things well because we're yoked to him. We're allowing him to decide. When I was getting married, um, uh, we were in Bible college, my wife and I. I remember saying to her, you know, there's a call on my life to ministry. I said, I know it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it will look like. And I don't know where it will be outworked. But I know I have a call to ministry. And we were kind of dating and it was getting serious, you know. And I said to her, I probably will never be able to offer my future wife a home, a house that we'll own. I said, that's not anything I'm particularly interested in. I just want to serve God. And uh, I'm not even sure which country we'd live in. I was kind of really dropping some big hints. (laughs) But I thought, I need to know if this girl is up for this. Because it's a huge ask of anybody, a huge ask. And I remember a week later, she sent me a card. And she quoted from Ruth chapter one, entreat me not to leave you, nor to return from following you. Your God shall be my God. Your people shall be my people. Where you die, there will I be buried. I thought, I struck gold. (laughs) And here was the amazing thing. By the time I was 32, we did own a home. We did. But you know what? At 38, I sold it and gave the money away. Hello? Because here's the thing. You don't really own your home. Just saying, you're a steward of it. You're a steward of your gifts. You're a steward of your children. They're not even yours, according to Psalm 127. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are the her- they're his inheritance. Children are God's inheritance. He gives them life. And so we steward everything in life. And because we're stewards of it, we have to do well with it. We have to do well in our marriages. We have to do well with our kids and our family. We have to do well in our job. We have to do well with everything you own. And the way you do it well is to recognize one day I will talk to God about how I handle all this stuff. We're going to have a conversation. You know, it's called the judgment seat of Christ, but you know, that sort of sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? But so I'm going to call it a conversation. Because the judgment seat of Christ is, in the Greek, it's the beamer seat. It's where the judges decided who got gold and who got silver and who got bronze. It was more a judgment in the sense of who was winning and who wasn't, who was coming next. So it wasn't a judgment towards condemnation and rebuke. It was a judgment in terms of reward. And I think we're going to have a conversation with God, And he's going to just talk, we're just going to, I don't know, he's going to talk about it. And say, hey, what do you think of that? Now you're here, now we're face to face. What do you think of that? I wish I'd done that differently, really, I do. And God's going to say, yeah, I do too, really. <laughs> well, here's the bits you did do good. Here's the bits you did succeed in. And I, I don't know about you, but I just want to have more success than failure. I want to have, I want to have more of a sense of I I learned the unforced rhythm of grace, then I resisted the grace of God. Because Paul says that in Galatians chapter 2. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. And it's possible to frustrate the grace of God. It's, it's possible to live your life in such a way that you keep blocking what God wants to do. And, and one of the ways I think we do that is, is we just live too independently. We just become the masters of our own fate. And the gospel is about you surrender your life to a king. And, and he's a king who can be trusted. And he's king who's got the best for you. And he's king who's got the universe at his command. And, and this king is there not just to bless you, but to use you to reach the world, to bless others. There's purpose to your life. You're here for a reason. And it's not just about me, myself, and I and how... how living for myself and how good can I get but it's about me living for someone who gave his life that I might find true fulfillment listen here's my challenge to you this morning are you the best version of you yet are you the best version of you yet and do you have a picture in your head or in your heart of what the best version of you could look like and you see, in, in my life, I, I look at my life and I, I just think, okay, this could be a better version. I need to do something here. You know, a few weeks ago, I have a, a daughter. Well, I've got five daughters, but I've got one in particular. Uh, her name's Jessica. She's the youngest one. She's a, f- a fitness trainer. She's a personal trainer to people. And uh, it's scary how strong she is. It's just scary, scary how fit she is. You know, and she just, she's been teasing me lately for some reason. <laughs> you know, just telling me how cuddly I am. And <laughs> that's a kind way of saying, you fat boy. <laughs> just cuddly and squeezy, soft. You know, and I just, I said, Jessica, okay, I get it, I get it. And, uh. And so with a friend of mine, I'm actually working out now. In fact, the, the two weeks I've been here has been very hard for me. I haven't been able to go to the gym, but I'm going to the gym three times a week, three times a week. You know why? It's a simple thing. I'm, I'm 63, and I want to do this for another 20 years. So I figure, you know, I'm going to have to take a little bit of authority over the body here and work out. Guys, some of you need to work out. You're way younger than me and way more cuddlier than me. Come on. Kind words. There's no judgment here, I promise you. No judgment because every time you point the finger, there's three pointing back. The cuddly boy is speaking to all the cuddly boys in the room. Come on, guys. Needs to be a bit of working out. But you know what? When you start to work out, it's incredible. It it releases a little bit of dopamine. You get endorphins released in your brain. You know what? You actually feel good. That is physiologically true. And so, you know, my daughter's created a routine for me, and she says, you need to do that for two months, and I'll come back and reevaluate how you are. Um, But apart from the traveling where I, you know, I drop things, I'm determined to do that. Why? Because I want to be a better version of me. Now, that's true with your character. You know, your character, what do people say about you? Not just what do you say about yourself, but what do they say about you? And do you listen to them? And I'm not talking about the general populace, what they think about you, because everyone's got an opinion about everyone. I'm talking about the people who are close to you and know you. You know, if they got close to you and they were to, and, and you were to really listen to what they say, I wonder if it could inspire you to say, wow, I need to work with that area of my life and be a better version of, of myself. You know, I, I also, I appreciate Cat because I also have an Italian mother. So, so everything in our house was loud. And people used to think we were shouting and screaming at each other. And this was normal. Uh, you know, my wife, when she came into our house, she says, why is your mom so angry? I said, she's not angry. <laughs> That's normal. That's how she talks it's like, wow, it's so loud. You know, and she came from a house where everything was just quiet. You know, would you like to do this? Would you like, pardon? You know, it was just so, total opposites. But over the years, I've had to learn to just take it down a notch or two. Just take it down. You know, just make a change, make an adjustment. Because not everyone comes from an Italian family. Now when I go to Italy, I fit right in. It's like the volume goes back up. The, you know, there's, there's a lot of animation. But my point is, you can't afford to wait until one day. Well, I'll deal with that one day. When the kids are grown. When the mortgage is paid. When the economy is better. No, no, you need to start now. You need to work on yourself now. Listen, your life is as big as you dare it to be. Hello? Your life is as big as you dare it to be. And if you feel like your life is boring, you can change that. You can change that. You have power to change that. If you feel like your life is completely unsatisfying, you need to make a list All the areas where you feel dissatisfied. If you're dissatisfied in your marriage, is there a vision for how you could make the marriage better? If you're dissatisfied with your relationship with your parents or your kids, do you have a vision in your heart of what could happen and how it could be in the future? Because unless you see what it can be, you'll never move towards it. Do you get this? If you're dissatisfied with your job, have you got a vision for a better one or how you could be promoted where you are or how you could even change the culture in your business? You know, I used to work for a company at one time where there was so much gossip going on in the company But every time gossip went out, I walked out of the room. Didn't matter who was doing it. If gossip went on, I walked out of the room. People soon got the message, don't gossip around him. You know what happened? When I became a senior manager, people stopped gossiping because now I had authority. It changed the culture of the company. Just change the culture. You can change something. God will empower you to do it, but you've got to have a vision that it can be different. You've got to see how you could be different. And here's the thing. Don't beat yourself up for where you are. You know, don't... That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, you know... um, Feel bad about the fact your marriage is not where you'd like to be or your relationship with your kids. Have a vision of where it is and then ask yourself, how could I begin to move towards that? What, I could, what could I begin to do? Do you know, like with my kids, sometimes they stuff up and do things and I just think, oh, you know, I'm going to make a little intervention here. And usually what I do is I write out, I type out all the things I'd like to say and then I sleep on it. And the next day, 90% of the time, the Holy Spirit says to me, delete it and say nothing. I said, Lord, I worked for an hour on that. (laughs) Yeah, that was for your benefit, not for theirs. And do you know what I've learned as a father? Sometimes the greatest gift that you can give your adult children is the freedom to make their own mistakes. Think about it because you made enough of your own. And just to embrace them despite that. We've got, to, we've got to learn to be the best version of ourselves. And that's a process. That's a process. When Jesus called the 12 to be with him, it was, follow me and I will make you. Do you get that? If you want to be made into something today, you've got to follow something. And what you follow, you will become. If you follow trends, then you just become trendy. But shallow. If you follow fashion, that's what you become, fashionable. Well, there's not much depth to that, is there? People will say how good you look until they talk to you. You, You've got to have something of more substance. You become what you follow. And and so I want to encourage you, come on. Has something captured your heart that's bigger than what's out there in the world? Because that's what Jesus puts on the table. Follow me and I will make you. The transformation process comes in the journey. I love what Kat said. You know, she said, I'm not getting baptized today because I've arrived, because I'm already there. I just love that, because that's a great theological understanding of what Christianity is. You know, I've discovered um, that just because a person says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. Um, it, it, It doesn't mean, sorry, let me say that again. Just because a person says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're mature. It doesn't mean they're spiritual. It just means they've chosen to identify with something that they believe in. But they have to go on a journey to become something. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, it says, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They didn't give themselves that name, the community did. And to be a Christian was to be a little Christ a little anointed one and so the community were watching the way these disciples were living and they said wow you're just like mini versions of Jesus You're little Christ's and 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 the community said that about them they didn't say that about themselves and so often you know I find people want to tell you who they are and what they are well fine I'd rather hear what your family say you are I'd rather hear your boss tell me what you're like I'd rather your spouse tell me who they think you are because they're the people who live with you and work with you and know you and it says in the book of Proverbs every man can proclaim his own goodness but a faithful man who can find we're good at promoting who we are who, or the version we want people to believe. But there's the version of what you want people to believe and there's the version of who you are. And so often the version of what we want be, people to believe is actually a vision of our future. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you're following, as long as you're on the journey, as long as when you're with people who say, you know, you were a little harsh in that meeting. What you said was a little harsh. And you take it on and you say, oh, was I? Oh, I didn't mean to be. Thanks for that. I'm going to work with that. Um, it's so, you know, five daughters, I tell you, what a journey I've been on. God taught me tenderness through five little girls. I was not a tender man, I promise you. But, but I've learned compassion. I've learned tenderness. I, I've learned just through raising these girls that, that you actually don't need to be forceful. You don't need to shout. You don't need to do those things. I've done all that stuff. And I've learned over the years, actually what you need to do is exercise real authority. And you need to speak to the issue at hand. And you need to appeal to say, are you happy doing that, doing that with your life? And make it a conversation. And the other thing I've learned as a father, by the way, and I've learned this in ministry over 40 years, is that most of the time people will argue with you when you're in the middle of a conversation with them, but 24 hours later they'll phone you and say, you were right. So I never try and win arguments any longer. I just speak the truth. And when people argue with me and say, well, I don't believe that and I don't accept that and I'm not taking that on board, I say, okay, that's fine, no problem. Just pray about it. Call me later in the week. Tell tell me what you think. Yeah, I've been thinking about that you said last Tuesday. You you know why? Because the only person who has the power to change you from the inside out is Jesus Himself, by the power of His Spirit. And when we speak the truth in love, the truth goes into our heart, and the Holy Spirit says, every time you said no, I was saying yes. It's called conviction. And we've, we've got to learn to be a people who listen to the voice of the Spirit. We've got to be people who listen to conviction on the inside. Because I'll tell you what, when conviction comes, the grace to change comes. Have you noticed that yet? If, if you try and change yourself in your own strength, you just keep falling over. But the moment you, you could be in a meeting and all of a sudden you hear a word and it's like, the Holy Spirit is really convicting your heart, when that happens, grab the grace that comes with the conviction. Grab a hold of it and say, God, you're here right now. You're convicting me. I take the grace to change right now. I agree with you. I am in this area of my life. I'm not right, and I want to be right. And agree, that's what Jesus meant in Matthew 5 when he said, agree with your adversary while you're in the way with him. Let's deliver you to the judge and the judge to the prisoner and the prisoner puts you in the dungeon. You don't want to end up with your life bound. You want to end up with a life that's free. David Brooks wrote this once in a book called The Road to Character. He said this, the central fallacy of modern life is the belief that outward success with all its grand accomplishments can produce deep satisfaction i'll read that again the central fallacy of modern life is the belief that outward success with all of its grand accomplishments can produce deep satisfaction it's a dream it's a it's a fallacy it's it's like a cloud that disappears In order to get deep satisfaction in your life, you've got to chase something more than outward success. You've got to become successful on the inside. You've got to become the person Jesus has called you to be. And I'm not talking about comparison and living up to other people's expectations. I'm talking about you following Jesus and becoming the best version of yourself. See, the apostle Peter, when he denied Jesus three times, Jesus knew it was going to happen. He prophesied it. And here's Peter saying, oh, you know, they'll all forsake you. I won't forsake you. And he goes, really? Before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. He, he knew his weakness. He knew where he was in the journey. But then at another time, he comes to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Do you realize that your failure to Jesus, doesn't stop him interceding for you. You know, can you imagine being Jesus and you get a prophetic word? Oh, that guy who's just been with you for three years, followed you, the one you really relied on, the one you took in on all the intimate things you did, he's going to deny you three times. Now, if you were Jesus and you understood that prophetically, what would you do? Hello? Hello? Would you do the good Christian thing? Oh, that's that's really cool. You'd be angry, you'd be upset, you'd be disappointed. You know what Jesus did? He began to intercede. And his prayer was, I don't want this to destroy him. And he prayed until he got a promise. And here was the promise. When you're converted, not if you're converted, when you're converted. Can you imagine speaking that into Peter's life? When? when it's going to happen. I've prayed. It's a done deal. When? Strengthen the brethren. Jesus didn't want him to live in his failure even though he knew the limitations of where he was in the journey right there. He wanted to live with a vision of his future. So he prophesied it before it happened. And he kept following. And he kept following Jesus. Come on, friends, don't let your past rob you of your future. Don't, don't let the things in life that trip you up now, just keep pursuing that better version of yourself and know that God loves you and accepts you right where you are right now. It's n- your, your current failure and your current lack right now is not a disqualification for you following Jesus. Jesus. And baptism is not about people being perfect. Baptism is about being put into God. So in, in Matthew 28, Jesus' last words, Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. What great words of Jesus. The word baptizo means to plunge, to submerge, to dunk. When they called him John the Baptist, it was not a nice term. They were basically saying, oh yeah, John the dunker. (laughs) Next. (laughs) Next. Just kept on dunking people. And Jesus said, baptize them. Put them into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because the only way you will ever achieve your destiny in God is by following him and being submerged in his life. See, I, I think uh, I think all of us need to become better versions of ourselves. Here's something that's really helped me over the years. It's knowing where am I connected. You know, in the Old Testament, they used to talk about they used to talk about peoples tribes, houses and families four things, people's tribes houses and families so when Ruth wrote to Naomi she said your people shall be my people do you know who my people are in 2 Timothy 2.22 Paul says to Timothy flee youthful lust but pursue righteousness, faith, love peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart that's my people Those who are pursuing, they're following, they're on the journey, and they call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. I don't care if they're Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal. I don't care what their background is. If they call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart, if they're pursuing righteousness, if they're pursuing love, if they're chasing after it, I'm following. I'm not there yet, but I'm following. And as I follow, Jesus is making me more like the thing I'm pursuing, They're my people. Do you know who my tribe is? Axe Churches. So I embrace everybody. But I've got a tribe. I belong to Axe Churches. You know who my house is? Equippers. You know who my family is? Equippers London. So I know my family, I know my house, I know my tribe, and I know my people. And because I've been connected then the blessing that comes with that flows. And every one of you need to be connected. Now, if you feel your people is somewhere else, then that's fine. If you feel your tribe is Elim, that's great. If you feel your tribe is Methodist, that's great. I've got nothing to say to that. But I'm saying, be connected to that tribe. But in that tribe, there's going to have to be a house. And in that house, there's going to have to be a family. And the more you get connected to who your family and your house and your tribe and your people are, you know what, the more you become identified with them and you begin to look like them, you begin to talk like them, you begin to act like them, you begin to move together. Twelve tribes in Israel, there are different tribes. That's okay, but it's one people. All those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart, it's one people. And I found that by connecting where God placed me. Do you know for 20 years I prayed that God would connect me to an apostolic leader. 20 years I prayed that prayer. And I met hundreds of them over the years. And I felt sometimes like Samuel. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. No, no, no. Man looks at the outer appearance. No, don't look at the success of his ministry. No, it's not him. It's not him. I almost gave up. And then one day I met Bruce and I wasn't even asking the question by that time. And it was so out of my radar, an individual from the other side of the world, it was so out of my thinking that when Bruce asked me to work with him, I fasted and prayed for three weeks. I thought, this is insane. And I I literally went into three weeks. So for two weeks, I ate nothing. Two solid weeks, I ate nothing. I was fasting, I was praying, I was seeking God. For the final week, I just had a little bit of fruit, a few pears, a few apples, that was it. And my wife was saying to me all the time, have you got a conviction yet? Have you got a conviction? Literally, after 21 days of seeking God, I got this conviction in my heart: This is of me, and I want you to say yes. Do you know? what Over the years, people have tried to tell me, "No, no, no, you shouldn't be working with him. No, 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 you shouldn't." Hey Amen. That's my family. That's my house. That's my tribe. That's not up. That's not up for negotiation. I went to lead a church in London. I told you this, 35 people. All the elders and trustees said, we don't mind who you relate to as long as they're in the UK. And I goes, well, we have a problem right there then, don't we? Because my apostolic connection is with a man in New Zealand. They said, well, why couldn't it be Britain? I said, I don't know. Take that up with the Lord. That wasn't my choice. That was His. He put us together for His purpose. And I said, yes. Yes. Don't you love it that God brought Cat all the way over from the other side of the world? We don't know how that's going to play out, but I know something. This young woman has taken a step of obedience, and God will honor. God will protect her family. God will watch over her family. He'll honor her obedience. Abraham left her of the Chaldees to a place that God was going to show him. He obeyed God. He stepped out. Come on, friends. Where do you need to step out? Where do you need to reach out for the thing that God has for you? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.